Welcome to the LaughSpin.com podcast. Hey guys, what's up? It's Dylan from LaughSpin.com. Welcome to yet another episode of the LaughSpin podcast. Thanks so much for joining us this week. If this is your first time joining us, by the way, thanks, especially thanks for uh, for finding us. We do we do appreciate it. If you are unfamiliar with what we do each week, myself and uh, co-host Mike, we deliver what we think is a, a comedy news digest. It's an extension of LaughSpin.com, which is... Uh, Hopefully the place you go for all your comedy news and features needs. Every week what we do is we we kind of go through the week's uh, news in the comedy world. We play some fun uh, tracks from upcoming albums that are not even out yet. We listen to some audio from some cool television appearances. Uh, we have a few laughs. It's all good. But when we don't do, we do two different types of shows, that show, and then we do the interview show, the special episodes. And that's what you're listening to now. So on this week's episode, I talked to comedian Joe DeRosa, who is one of my favorite comedians. Uh, I've been following him for uh, a really long time. I've, I've loved to see how he's progressed, and he has progressed wonderfully. He's a, uh, I think, a brilliant comedian. He's got a new album out called You Will Die, and uh, yes, yes, I find it heartening. I find that sentiment heartening sometimes. I find comfort in that. So I talked to Joe at his, he was nice enough to let me into his his, his humble abode in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, he's really neat. He's a very he's a he's a very neat guy. I wish I was uh, as 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 clean and as tidy as he is. It was a great conversation. We talked a lot about music. Uh, he used to have this uh, comedy rap group called Deep that we talk about. We talk about uh, he's and he's still doing music. So we talk a little bit about that. We talk about bad religion. We talk about his comedy. Uh, we talk about Kathy Griffin. We talk about a lot of shit, everybody. So uh, I'm going to shut up and uh, let you listen to the interview. Here it is. So before I hit record here, uh, we talked about, uh, we played uh, one of your tracks uh, on the new album, which is called You Will Die, which I, I love. It's, Thanks. It's, it's very, uh, it's heartening to me. <laughs> I, f- I find solace in that sometimes. Yeah. That, I, w- that I will die someday. You will. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited about it. It's, uh, I mean, the title is, uh, well, first, it's first and foremost, it's a Star Wars quote. Mm-hmm. It's from Return of the Jedi when um, Luke won't turn to the dark side at the end. Right. And the Emperor hits him with the lightning and he's on the ground and he's screaming and he pa- the Emperor pauses for a second and he goes, and now, young Skywalker, you will die. And uh, so two of my friends and I, had uh you know we used to say it to each other one of my friends his name was jason ritz um he's a friend of mine from college um he loved that line because he he would he would get so excited and he would go he he's not suggesting it he's it's a right. he's saying it as a fact <laughs> right you you will die so he he like thought that lie was so great and sinister and then my friend jamie jowett and i say would say it all the time when we would get drunk we'd get really drunk and he would be like he would always make some joke about how we were approaching death because we were drinking too much. And then we started to go, you will die. And we would do like 
the impression of the emperor to each other. So I always wanted to call something that. Okay. But I never had anything that appropriate. And then my act started to, over the years, I start to talk a little more about life and dying and all that sort of stuff uh, in different ways, sometimes literally about dying and sometimes just about like, it's scary getting older or whatever. And, um, and then I was like, oh, okay, I can maybe finally call something you will die. Right. That'd be a good title. And it would title. be justified. Yeah. It's so not, It's not like you're shoehorning it in there. Yeah. So this new album has a chunk of stuff on there about when my mom was in the hospital uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, there's stuff on there about, like, healthcare and nurses and whatever. And, you know, and then just the overall theme of the album is kind of just like... There's a lot of stuff about people that take themselves too seriously and about how we don't, a lot of people don't embrace science enough right. and depression and all these things that kind of tie into this concept of like, it's all going to end one day. So maybe we should look at ourselves a little differently. Maybe I need to stop dwelling on certain things. Maybe I need to get up off my ass, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and then also the second disc of the album is an attempted recording of the first disc. Right. So it's me in front of a bunch uh, where the audience came in and they were just shit faced. So it's me dealing with drunks for 60 minutes straight. <laughs> That's the bonus disc. So it, there's also a metaphor of like you will die on stage sometimes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it worked. Yeah. Very appropriate. Thanks. Very appropriate. Yeah, and I like the cover. It's got the finger pointing yeah. at whoever's, you know, points right out at you. Sure. And then it, you will die with a period at the end. Right. So, so there's like, no question. Yeah, I feel like it draws the listener in if they're holding a copy of the album in their hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so, and and, then, and w w before I hit record, we were talking about uh, a small bit you do on Kathy Griffin uh, that we played on a previous episode of the Laugh Spin podcast. And uh, you kind of call her out for, uh, what do you call her? A well, stain? A human a stain on comedy? I, well, like I say that? that she stains comedy. She stains comedy, right, right. The bit, the bit is about, um, there's a whole bit on the album about TV shows right. giving people too great, you know, these reality shows or these sort of docu-series, whatever you want to call them, uh, that give certain... Uh, groups of people like this mentality that they're far more that they have much higher expertise than they actually have right so there's one there's a thing on there about tattoo artists starting to take themselves too seriously because of tattoo shows uh, there's a thing where I make fun of myself about like being like at an infomercial age where you're watching infomercials and you know the the hidden message being like I don't want to put effort into anything yeah. anymore I want to buy these products that do everything for me and then the third part is where I talk about, you know, I'm kind of tired of like these TV shows where gay guys teach straight guys how to dress. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's like, I get it. Like a lot of our straight guys have shitty taste and they need some schooling. But also, why do we never talk about the shitty taste that some gay guys have? And I kind of go through the list of certain things that are popular because gay guys predominantly love them. Right. Uh, and the last of those things is Kathy Griffin. <laughs> and I say, if it wasn't for the gay guys, you know, she wouldn't be staining comedy every year. Uh, yeah. Because I'm not a fan of her. I find her to, I don't like, I just don't like her. 
and I wouldn't usually wouldn't take a shot at somebody like that. Like, yeah, pub, like I've tried to do that less over the years. Sure, but then I figured like, well, that's all she does. <laughs> pretty, <laughs> so, pretty much. So it's, that's fair. It's just all stories, and uh, you know, and I try to, uh, you know, I try to remain as, um, you know, non. I, I don't like bashing people at all on Laughspin, but I have I have written a few things about. I mean, the main thing that bothers me about her is, yeah, she churns out. She kind of, and this is, I know this is me being very precious about right. the art of stand-up comedy. Right. But I feel like she sullies the art by kind of crapping out a stand-up special every quarter. I don't know if she's still on the same contract that she signed with Bravo, but she was on a contract where she would do a special every quarter. So that's four in a year. Right. Where most stand-up comedians take at least two years to come out with a new hour. So she just made it into this kind of disposable commodity where it's just like her like talking. And the other bone I have is she's constantly nominated for Oscars. For albums that... For Grammys, you mean? Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, Grammys, yeah. thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oscars. Like, wow. She's also nominated That's for amazing. Oscars. She's, I, for I don't second, know how I she does like, it. Oh, I respect her now. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> but they're not even proper albums. You could only get them on iTunes, and they're literally the edited audio taken from her Bravo specials right? Like in one track. Right. So you download... It's just a one 45-minute track and oh, like that's her album it up in the track no it's yeah. lit they just extract the audio and it's you hear beeps you hear like censored awful yeah i just um i hear you about the taking shots of people i've tried to lessen you know my my act my acts of doing that over yeah. the years um there was a time when i would really just bitch about anything or anybody i didn't like um and then i started to be like you know what man that's not my business. They're, they're doing their thing. I'm doing I'm something. I'm not the fucking police of anything. Right. You know, who gives a shit what I think about the, you know, if somebody else likes it, that's fine. And I really do, you know, apply that sort of philosophy or, or to, to my approach to stuff now more. I try to speak more generally about things mm. uh, versus going, I hate this one person. I try to say more like, I hate this type of person. Right. But, um, with her, I just, it's weird. I find, I, I almost find what she does offensive, <laughs> you know? Uh, I don't like the gimmick of like, I'm not famous, but you're clearly fucking Yeah, famous. I mean, how long, how long could that go on? Yeah, I mean, she's that, like an A-list celebrity at this point. Yeah, exactly. And she's still kind of flying that like, I'm on the D-list flag. And right. it's just, that gets annoying. I also, when I say offensive, it's like, the, like this thing that certain people can get away with and it really bugs me but like the fact that she calls her audience my gaze uh-huh to me that's like as offensive as being like my blacks i love my blacks it's like fuck you man like that you're like your gaze like it, like like you're like you're somehow the proprietor of these people <laughs> it's offensive it's like yeah. it, it like and and Look, I'm not going to sit here and act like I've never said anything offensive on stage, and I'm not even going to try to act like people couldn't, you know, make it make an argument against things I've said where maybe you could construe it as derogatory in one way or another. But sure. it's like, 
I just, you know, it's if I got on stage and and did routines about like as most people got on stage and did routines about like my women meaning like you women that follow and adore me right or my fill in whatever ethnic group you want or whatever it is it would be like dude that's really fucking wrong it's like it's like there's something really gross about that and you know it's like it's like gary owen you know like he's another guy that i can't fucking stand what does he do? He's a white comic right. that plays a lot of uh, pr- like predominantly black to, yeah, to yeah, predominantly yeah. black audiences, and he comes out and and his whole approach is like, "Well, I married a black lady, so I get it." Right. And it's fucking offensive, man. It's like it's like you don't get it, dude. You're like talking down to an audience and trying to make it sound like. You understand? There's almost a tone of like, I get you guys more than you get yourselves, or something, or like, or I'm the one that gets it, guys. And it's like, to me, that's that just reeks of imposter. It reeks of exploitation. Yeah. And you know, these these people, meaning the two comedians we're speaking of, to me would be the first to fly the sort of flag of like understanding and and tolerance because well look at me i play to a gay audience right and they love me or look at me I, i'm white and i play to a black audience and they love me and it's like no dude like to me what you're doing is as like shitty and and exploitative as like the people that made exploitation movies in the 70s yeah you know i just i just don't think it's cool like it's it's like I don't know. I don't care for e- either of them. Yeah, I guess I guess if the audience doesn't uh I don't know. I was going to say rebel, but that's a little dramatic, but if the audience doesn't kind of react negatively towards that, I guess they're just going to that's it. That's that's their thing. Yeah, and and let me also too just to get, to go in a little more specifically to my take on these two comics. Like I worked with Gary Owen years ago and he was a dick to me. Okay. He was a condescending prick. So I don't like him on a personal level <laughs> right. either. He probably right. has no idea who I am. I don't think he remembers me. I don't think he would know me. We, we certainly don't run into each other in the comedy circles we travel in. Um, Is he? He's in L.A., no? I have no idea. I have no idea. He should be in Antarctica or someplace <laughs> where comedy doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. But, and then also Kathy Griffin, like the thing that really turned me off from her was I had a friend that made fun of her on stage and yeah. she saw it. And then, you know, like, I guess, I don't know, months later or weeks later, she was supposed to do a show that he was on. And she was like, I won't go on if he's on. Because he said this and this about me. And it's like, you're a fucking hypocrite. On top of all this other shit, you're yeah. a hypocrite too. It's, it's just nonsense, man. I, I just, I don't care for, I don't like those two. <laughs> okay. All right. I will. I'm taking them off. Uh, I was thinking about putting them both on my Christmas card list. They are, they are not going on my Christmas card list now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because you have influenced me otherwise. Okay. Very good. Very good. I was listening, uh, I have an old school iPod. Um, I don't use my phone for music. So I was, I put it on shuffle the other day and, uh, your deep album came on. Yeah. Whatever happened with that? Well, it's funny you bring that up as we talk about this stuff. Um, for the, any listeners that don't know what that is, which I'm sure is all of them. Uh, I, 
my friend and I had a rap group, a comedic rap group called Deep. Who was the other comic? Well, he wasn't a comic. His oh. name's James uh, Pinkstone. He's one of my best friends that I grew up with. Okay. And he's a musician that okay. I'm friends with uh, still to this day. He's one of my closest friends. But we had this fake com- comedy rap group called Deep. <laughs> and the whole point of it was making fun of the misogyny that was found in rap music, predominantly with like the stuff in like the early 90s, like Two Live Crew and stuff right. like that. And we were like, oh, it'd be funny to do a rap album that like satirized that, but took that to the ultimate like extreme, like just yeah. like the most depraved, misogynistic and, thing of it, all time. And it is. Yeah, it is. It's filthy. It's, and it's fucking hilarious. Thank you. But the reason we stopped doing it was because people, some people got it and they were like, oh, I get it. This is like a a social commentary. You jack it up to the extreme. So then people, so then it's an exact, you know, you have to exaggerate. If you're going to do a satirization of something like that, you have to exaggerate. Sure, You can't get too close to it because then it's, then it's just the thing. You're just a really bad hip hop artist. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we, we took it as far as we could. And then there were just people that didn't get it. And we shopped it around to some labels. It was right around the time that Tenacious D was like became really big like right. in that initial thing when they came out and um we thought all right it's a good time to try to shop this around like comedy music is getting some attention and yeah. like not your traditional comedy music like which is what we saw with tenacious d and like flight of the concords they were doing non-traditional comedy stuff right um with music so we shopped it around in a couple a and r's at I think Interscope and some other places, you know, liked it, but they were just like, dude, we can't put this out. We can't. Like, nobody's going to get it. Nobody's going to get that this is a joke. Right. Because we also tried to do a sort of Andy Kaufman-esque thing with it where we were like, let's make it sound really good. Yeah. Let's make the beats good. Let's make the lyrics really concise and clever. And let's make the production value as high as we possibly can. But... Because we wanted it to be the kind of thing where if you heard it like from across the room, you'd think it was just a hip hop. Sure. But if you got close to it, you'd be like, what the fuck is going on with this? This is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, so um, we just decided to end it. We put out the one album and, yeah. and, and we just we just we just didn't think it was the thing that we wanted to carry on with because right. we didn't want it to mistakenly you know represent us in the wrong way and and you can't explain it to everybody you know it's just kind of out there so we kind of took it away from being out there (laughs) can you get it on itunes no no you can't get it anywhere anymore there are people that have it um you know it's funny we did a show we did we did a very short tour when we put out our one album and we did a show in birmingham and i played two characters in the group i played there was the group was three members. It was a guy named Drill Jackson. That uh-huh. was my friend Jim. It was and then it was this guy, Jay Beto, and another guy named Bernard Valentine. And I was Jay Beto and Bernard Valentine. Right. Bernard was kind of like the hype man, like sort of flavor flav position in the band. Right. And then Jay Beto and Drill Jackson were the two main MCs. So I played Drill Jackson and Bernard, and uh at the shows I would I would change and come out as Bernard and then go back and change and come back out as Jay Beto and we did a show in Birmingham and it was fucking packed <laughs> like we packed up this bar and there were all these dudes that were really into it they were like huge fans and they we slept at their house after the show and they <laughs> took us out and we, they got us wasted and all this stuff and um, years and years later I'm talking this was like that was like 
seven or eight years ago. Two years ago, I went down to Birmingham to a place, I think it was called the Possum Tree or something, I forget, to do a comedy show. And I was standing at the bar and these two dudes came up to me and they're like, dude, Jay Beto, what's up, man? When's the new Deep album coming out? And I was like, never. And you're the only person that's ever recognized me from that thing. Deep. And that's why it's never going to come out. So, you know. We still play music, though. James and I still play music. We have a band now called Funeral in the Mirror, and it's it's electro pop mm-hmm. slash sort of funk punk, whatever. And um, it's uh, it's not funny. It's just you know, it's, it's just music. Straight up, straightforward. Yeah, straight ahead music. So. That's great. So you know, we still have fun playing together, but the sex rap aspect of it is gone. We still write lyrics, though. We were texting lyrics last night to each other, and we <laughs> laugh and go, "Ah, oh, one day." <laughs> A deep reunion. Yeah, yeah. What, one of these days. We also wanted to do a thing with Funeral in the Mirror. Like, we really get obsessed with this idea of, like, if you just, at a glance, it's normal later. But if you get close, like, right. like it's all, it's like, the whole premise of that is, like, or the whole concept of that is, like, in Pulp Fiction. That's how I always described it, like, with Harvey Keitel, where he goes, so if some pig gets nosy, sticks his head in the car, at first glance, everything will appear to be okay. But if he pokes around too long, he's going to know something's wrong, you know? Right, right, right. they're trying to get the blood (laughs) and brains. I always thought of it like that. So, like, uh, but we, our first uh, Funeral in the Mirror album is, it's already out. It came out on iTunes, and I mean, it's available on iTunes. But um, we were, we, we have a new album coming out soon. And we kept talking about, like, we should do this thing. And we actually re-recorded one or two songs with this. But we were like, we should do this thing where if we ever get to a point where we have a greatest hits album or a best of, we every, like, third copy or fourth copy, all the lyrics have been re-recorded. And now all the songs are about licking out a dude's asshole. (laughs) (laughs) And we... We re-recorded the vocals on one or two songs, like just as a starting point, because we were laughing so hard at how funny that would be. He was like, could you imagine if we were ever famous enough that anybody would want a Greatest Hits album, first of all, and then that like there'd be people out there going like, did you get the Funeral in the Mirror, Best Stuff? Yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. I like those two new songs. Dude, is yours all about licking a dude's asshole? I got it. And was like, what the fuck? It's the same songs. And they sing them exactly the same. But all the lyrics are about licking a dude's asshole. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe one day. I just, I, I, we just think the stuff like that's really funny, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I can, I can appreciate that. When I was, uh, I, I grew up uh, playing drums with my brother uh, we were always we were always in bands. We were always you know writing music and recording demos and and all this other shit. And uh, when I think as we were getting to to college age, we used to we were young and like writing about like war and like yeah. just trying to do something meaningful. And so then we got older and we were like we should do the the opposite. I don't know if you're familiar with the band Mucky Pup. Mm-mm. No. They were they're they're sort of um gods in New Jersey where I where I grew up. Okay. And they their thing were they were kind of like this comedic metal band. Okay. And we were very influenced by them. So we started this band called The Llama Project. 
and uh, that's very. Uh, <laughs> I hear you. That's very. That sounds very Mars Volta. Yeah, like somewhere in there. Who you look like a member of right now? You look exactly like Zach Galifianakis right now. I'm not Zach Galifianakis. Oh my God! Who's the Rage Against the Machine? Oh, Zach, Zach Delarocha. De yeah. <laughs> you know Zach Galifianakis? Yeah, no, I do. It's that weird piano version of Rage <laughs> that's out there. You look at. Has anybody told you that yet? Yes, dude. It's crazy how much you look like him right now. Yeah, you I look, look like a guy that used to sing about war. <laughs> So anyway, sorry, I'm <laughs> no, that's cutting okay. off your story about the that's, llama project. No, that's okay. So we, we would put out these like little, we would save up our money all year, and then in the summer we record these like just ridiculous songs that had lyrics they made no sense. And so I, so I appreciate that, uh, that, uh, that the, your musical inclination. I, I, I still, I wish I had time to actually play music now, but. I still, uh, well, I'll tell you, man, what's. What's been a great release for me, I, I mean, I, I re, we, we finished the, our new Funeral in the Mirror album, and then I recorded a whole solo album of stuff that's ready. It's done. Really? It's basically done and ready. But what's helped me do it and get it done and be able to record and write is I got Logic Pro for my computer. Mm -hmm. I'll show you the setup after. Okay. But I mean, I have a MIDI, uh, excuse me, an M-Audio fast track, which is 100 bucks. You plug it into your USB drive, and you can plug a guitar or a mic into it, and it works as a preamp, so you can plug right into the computer and record. Get out. Yeah, without a soundboard. Um, the Logic program has a zillion MIDI instruments and a zillion effects that you can put onto live instruments. So you can record guitar straight into it and put whatever amp you want onto it, and it sounds pretty fucking good. Um and then, of course, you have a digital mixing console in the program. Um, and I have, like, a drum pad in there, dude. And, like, good headphones. Right. So I can write and record at any time of day. I did my whole album in there. And then I, then I fly down to Atlanta to my buddy's place. And he's got a full studio in his basement. And we redo the vocals. And sometimes relay the guitars if it's necessary. And that's a fucking rap, you know? Like... And then we pay we pay our friend Don McAllister, who we're lucky enough to know very well, who's a Grammy winning producer. Oh wow. We pay him to master it. Right. You know, and, and he gives us a nice friend price and he does a great job and it's like, you know, you can get it done. Performing it out is another story. I'm still trying to figure that all out, but Is that how you record with the band as well? Like so no lot no like live drums, it's all Sometimes there's some of the stuff has live drums, but we usually loop that up. Mm -hmm. We really wanted it to have a very digital and mechanical sounding bed for okay. all the songs to have that. And then like anything organic could happen on top of that. Right, right, right. Um, but I mean, that's the thing, dude. Logic Pro, like I, I write and record songs on there. Like I've written and recorded punk songs on there and like you would never know You'd it wasn't a know, live huh? drummer. Like you know if you get creative you can put all kinds of fills in and make it as clean or as sloppy as you want and have dynamics on the drums so every hit isn't identical and right i mean you know it's it's like anything else out there with technology these days like of course it makes it easy for almost anybody to do it but if you kind of learn it and really know start to learn what to do with it you know you can take it to another place you know yeah yeah and it's it's so it's cool so i've been trying to do my best to understand and learn that as much as possible but i mean for somebody like you who's saying i don't have a lot of time yeah you get that program man and you're you're off and running and it really feeds the bug 
you know, especially because of the 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 way it allows you to do it at any time. Like, I mean, I'll come yeah, home yeah. at 2 a.m. and sit there till f- six in the morning, just fucking, <laughs> you know, just in it. It's great, man. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, it's super fun. I'll play you some stuff or and show you the setup yeah. after. But it's it's really great what you can do with it, man. Wow. So, the, uh, it's funny, though. When you mentioned you used to write war songs, like... Yeah. I remember my first band I was ever in that was also with Jim and a bunch of other guys. I was, I'm was i still obsessed with Bad Religion. They're still my favorite band. But, yeah. Uh, that's when they first became my favorite band. We were like seniors in high school. They were the first song I ever wrote for the band. So embarrassing. <laughs> it was called Die Like Heroes. Uh-huh. <laughs> And I tried so hard to write a bad religion punk song. Die Like Heroes said sarcastically or ironically. Dude, I don't even remember. I just thought I mean, if you were a sounded, bad religion fan, you couldn't have. I just thought that. I think, I think the, if I remember, I think the, the gist of the song was like, yeah, like the fallen heroes die like a hero as long as they tell you you're a hero or whatever. I right, don't fucking right. know. I was 17. But it was a very thin song. It, you know, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of knowledge behind the sentiment of the song. I was just kind of writing what I thought Bad Religion would write. Right. And I put in all these words I didn't really understand because I was like, well, they use big words. That's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> and I also didn't know how to write music at all. The chord progression was so shitty. Oh, it was a terrible song. <laughs> Fucking terrible song. Yeah, no, I'm sure we I'm sure we could have matched you with... Ter- yeah, we did like anti-war songs and just... Yeah, but bad religion. I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm with you. My brother and I are both huge uh, bad religion fans. I just saw them at uh, where was it in Manhattan, the Midtown venue. So well, it's almost on the Upper West Side. <sighs> not a not the Best Buy. No, the Best Buy is in Times Square, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. this is on the. This is at like fifty something on the West Side. Um, it's a nice venue. It's big. It's not too big, but it's big. I don't know. I guess um, I missed them last time around. Anyway, they toured with their last album, which is, in my opinion, one of their five best albums they've ever released. Really? It's amazing. What would you What would you say is their best? Uh, I mean, I'm sure certain diehards would disagree with this. My favorite Bad Religion album is Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah, I think most diehards would... Yeah, I mean, a lot of people took issue with it because it was the first album they did on Atlantic Records. It was the album that preceded Break Erowitz leaving the band. Right. Um, I mean, it's a great album. It's it's spawned their biggest singles, you know? Yeah. They also redid 21st Century Digital Boy right. that album. I think a lot of diehards were like, what the fuck, man? That's an Against the Grain song, you know? <laughs> but I think that's their best album. I think that's when everything that they had already done they they did like a sort of peak version of that mm-hmm. and everything that they were about to do was very well captured and proceeded on that album so it's like i just felt like that album is like where it all sort of culminates on either side of their career okay um but you know that one uh the new one true north mm-hmm. uh and then the other three would be what they call their their holy trilogy or holy whatever, which is, you know, Suffer, Suffer. No Control, and Against the Grain. Those five albums to me are the best ones. Stranger Than Fiction is my favorite. And then the other, True North would probably be my f- number five. And then the other three sort of interchange. See, but, I'm, I'm a big Generator fan. Generator's great. 
I really like that album. It's a great album. I, 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 I like it better than Suffer for sure. No, Suffer is my second favorite. Really? Suffer is the one that could contend with Stranger Than Fiction for my favorite. But I like Generator a lot. I like Generator better than Recipe for Hate. And I like it better than How Could Hell Be Any Worse. Mm-hmm. But there's something... It's got some great tunes on it, man. There's just something... There's something different about that album that I can't put my finger on. That that I feel like it stands out, which is probably why it's your favorite. But like, I feel like it stands apart from the other albums for the most part. Like, there's something. Maybe it's the production or the fact that it's a. It was the first album that was a little shorter. Like yeah. All of a sudden, there was only twelve songs. Yeah, I feel like there's more uh, mid-speed songs on there as well. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a little generally slower than Suffer and Against the Grain. I really like Against the Grain too. Did you know that? Uh, I hope the smoke's not bothering you, it, dude. We're sitting. By the way, listeners, we're sitting in uh, Joe DeRosa's apartment, which I feel like I feel like I'm home because I'm seeing many Star Wars things. I'm seeing the entire series of The Critic, which yeah, I, I too own. Yeah, it's great. I'm seeing uh, Bill Burr, Greg Giraldo. Yes, I'm home. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of relatable stuff on these DVD shelves. Uh, I uh, I am proud of my DVD collection. I refuse to tap out to the downloading of films. I I want to keep. I mean, I stream a lot too, but I like buying DVDs. I just got those in the mail. What do we have? We have McGruber. Unedited McGruber. Unedited. I'm excited to see. I've They're working on a new one, you know. Shut up. They are. They are? The, indeed. Oh, that's great news. I don't know how far they are with it, but uh, they are working on a new McGruber. That is awesome. And what is this? Street Trash. I got that movie. I've never seen it. I bought that on Blind Faith. Judah Friedlander was wearing a t-shirt of Street Trash. And obviously the words Street Trash jump out at you. I was like, what is that? He was like, it's a movie from the 80s horror movie. I was like, is it good? He's like, yeah, man, it's fun. It's gory, like whatever. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy it, like based on the title alone. And I know Judah's a big horror guy. So for him to be like, yeah, it's, you know, it's cool. I thought like, all right, it's got to be pretty good. And the reviews, you know, albeit I'm sure they're from many, many horror fans, were right. pretty good online. And I don't know. It just looked like a fun 80s, disgusting horror movie. Yeah, it does. In the sleazy, foreboding world of winos, derelicts, and drifters in lower Manhattan. Plus, it hits home. Yep. Uh, two young runaways, Fred and his younger brother, Kevin, live in a tire hut <laughs> <laughs> in the back of a vast auto wrecking yard. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And the front of the box sa- or case says uh, something along the lines of, like, New York just went down the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> because... It's got, and then the picture is a like disgusting zombie crawling out of a toilet. So it's like you know, just in case they didn't hammer it home, just just how bad could it be? Made it literal. Yeah, how bad could it be? But I, 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 love I think it looks fun. Yeah, yeah. I don't know when I'm gonna watch it. Uh, that whole top shelf over there at the top of the bookcase. Oh uh, yeah, that's all stuff I haven't watched yet. Oh okay. I get I get a little backed up. There's got to be like 30 movies up there that I haven't watched yet that I just bought. Or people gave me, uh, you know, and I just didn't get around to it yet. But there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good stuff up there, you know. City of God's up there. I never saw City of God. It's yeah, neither did I. An amazing film. Never saw it. El Mariachi. Never saw it. Saw all the other Rodriguez films. Never saw that one. Yeah, I don't think I saw any of those movies. Um, 
but there's some horror box sets up there that are like, you know, it's one of the things I do when I'm on the road. I go out and try to find DVDs. Yeah, I remember when you were doing those, um, those like tour diary videos for us a few years back. I remember you stopping into uh, one of the one of the DVD places and grabbing some. Yeah, there's a there's a movie shop. It's a small chain. It's called Movie Stop. Yeah, and it's owned by the same people that own GameStop. Really, I've only ever seen a few of them, but it's a great fucking shop, man. You walk in and it is wall to wall mostly use dvds and blu-ray yeah and you can get a lot of shit for like five bucks four bucks six bucks you know so uh that's where i went in that video i remember i bought a lot of dark and depressing (laughs) it was like blade runner dark city (laughs) it was like nothing uplifting nothing's gonna make you feel good after good good stuff for you know when you're on the road alone Mm. (laughs) well the problem is it's hard for me to watch dvds on the road now because i I try not to. I I got a MacBook Air, which doesn't have a DVD slot. Right. On it. You know, I bring that or or my Kindle, and it's like so. It's I can only kind of stream on the road now. Right. But uh, it really lightens the weight of the suitcase. So yeah. You know, I don't know. I, so I end up buying them, and then I don't watch them on the road. And then I bring them home, and they go to the top shelf, and I got to get around to them. Well, you got time, Joe? Come on. Well, let's hope. I mean, stop being I am creative. Die, stop. Stop writing music. Stop writing jokes. <laughs> Just sit around <laughs> and get through your fucking DVD collection. Yeah, I gotta, uh, I gotta smoke more weed. Or yeah, something. sure. Yeah, you gotta. So I have to like sit and just zone out to something. Yeah, you're too, um, you're too productive. Well, let's not, <laughs> let's not put a halo on me just yet. <laughs> I could do a lot more, but, uh, but yeah. So anyway. Well, good, good. So the album, the album's coming out. Uh, what are the plans after the, the, the album release? Well, I'm on the road a lot over the next two months, which is good because it'll help push it. Um, September 3rd's the digital release online and everything. October 1st, it's in stores. Just, you know, touring through the next two months pretty heavily and, uh, and uh, promoting the album as much as I can, doing every podcast and radio show I can possibly do. Yeah. And uh, just hoping that people buy it and hoping people like it, you know? I hope they do. I like it. I think it's better than the first two. Yeah, you um, think? Yeah, I think so. So um, I hope other people think that, you know? You never want anybody to go, it's not as good as the first one. Right. Or whatever. So I don't know. I hope. Are you playing? Um, are you playing mostly comedy clubs, or are you, are you? I know you were trying to get into some non-traditional venues. Uh, I do a lot of non-traditional venues now. I still do clubs. You know, uh, you know, the older you get in the business, and the more you start to build up a following and stuff, you try to be a little more selective. Mm-hmm and try to bring the following and the venue together so it makes more sense. Right. So it's just, you know, I'm really excited about the clubs I'm about to be playing. Uh, some of them I've played before. Some of them I've have, I haven't, but I think they're very, um, comedy friendly clubs. Yeah. Which there are comedy clubs that aren't, you know, like there are comedy clubs That's that weird, right? feel like you're working a strip club or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I still play clubs and then in between all that stuff, I try to do, 
you know, small music venues or large coffee house type venues. And, uh, and those are usually comedian run shows and, or artist run shows. Right. And, and, uh, you know, that's, that stuff's great. So, you know, just trying to, trying to make it all work and continue to try to establish a certain type of brand, I guess, for lack of a better <laughs> way of putting it. Yeah, no, yeah, sure. Brands. You guys are brands, you comics. <laughs> yeah, I'll be the uh, the if your brand is uh, depressive, depressive, uh, pondering death too much, dark abyss, and I'm your brand for that. There's a market for that, I think. Let's hope. I don't know. I know I'm part of the market. <laughs> I want to hear about it. I I want to know that. Other people are thinking about horrible things. Well, you know what's funny is that, like, <clears throat> I, I, this, is the, this is the thing I've encountered. People, uh, people that think about it a lot, mm -hmm. you know, are the people that are comfortable with joking about it. People that don't think about it and don't fear it aren't comfortable with joking about it, which doesn't make sense to me. You'd think if you were comfortable with discussing the concept and you had a healthy fear of it, mm -hmm. you'd be the guy that didn't want to joke about it because it would, to me at that point, it would be almost like a fear of God or something like that. You'd be like, we don't joke about that. It's right. too powerful a thing and it's too upsetting to think about. So, so we don't do it, but it's not the way. And you'd also think that the person that's like, no, I don't worry about dying. I don't think about it. You'd think that person would be able to laugh at it more and you know just the right, way like it's more of a foreign concept to them yeah just like the way an atheist has a much easier time joking about the church or something right but it's not that way it's 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 much more it's very reversed um which is weird you know it make it it creates a, a weird challenge in doing jokes about it you know yeah well those people that 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 don't think about it and are affected negatively when you do joke about it i mean don't you think that they probably are just in a constant state of denying denying that they're that they are thinking about it and that's what makes them it's like when you force somebody to sure see the truth well yeah i think that is probably what it is yeah you know somebody goes yeah i don't worry about that it doesn't freak me out it's like oh no you are very freaked out by it yeah. but your way of dealing with it is just dismissing it and never discussing it yeah i also realize too that like to an extent, it can be funny. To an extent, it can be interesting or entertaining. But it can easily cross a line where it's just like, dude, you're, you're really bringing us down. Sure. Like, this is too much. So I try to... I try not to dwell on it too much right. in my act. And you still need jokes. You need jokes. Yeah. I mean, you can't just... <laughs> well, my, it's funny, man. My The new hour that I'm doing now that's not the CD, um, it'll be whatever the next thing is, like... It, I talk about it, I think, more in this new hour than mm -hmm. I do on the CD. Uh, and I had to figure out a way to where to place it, mm -hmm. you know, and, and like how to weave it in to some other stuff so it didn't lay, lay on it for too long. Right. Because I learned kind of quickly when I was working out some of this new material, like people were just like, I have this new bit about like because I'm single and I live alone. And I'm in my 30s now and whatever. 
I think about a lot, like if I died in the apartment, like how long would it take before anybody knew that I was dead? Right. You know what sure, I mean? Sure. You don't have that girlfriend or whoever checking on you. And, um, the bit does well, but there are times like where people are like, dude, we, it's obvious. Like we don't want to hear this. Right. This is depressing us. Like it's, it's like, and I don't mean like, oh, it's so edgy, man. It's, it's just like people just don't want to fucking hear it sometimes. So I had to kind of figure out like in a long set, I was opening with it for a while. And then I was like, you know what? This isn't an opener. Right. This is like, let me get them laughing a little bit at some of the other stuff from my life and then kind of jump into this and then ramp out of this into stuff about like getting older and maybe having kids. And then that's a little more relatable. So, sure. You know, you got to kind of bring it back around sometimes until you're at that like George Carlin level where you can yeah. talk about whatever you want for, yeah, you know, an hour. But even he did. I saw him on tour with his last before he died. I saw him on his final tour. Yeah. As he as he was ramping up for that last HBO special. And the first thing he said was, guys, I did a special a, a few months back on HBO uh, there's about 30 minutes in there about suicide. I'm starting to think maybe I was a little fucking depressed. <laughs> yep. Uh, anyway, I don't want to talk about that stuff anymore. This is the new stuff and whatever. And it was a much, it was much brighter, you know? So even with a guy like that, who is, in my opinion, the ultimate master of standup and whatever, like even he was like, okay, I'm aware of maybe I crossed certain lines or, or, or maybe I it was too heavy on this or it was too dark. So let's swing it back the other way. Yeah. You know, so I actually, I think I was, I was at that taping, that HBO taping, the, uh, the super dark one. And it was dark. It was, I mean, I'm huge lifetime fan. Uh, but I remember laughing out loud, maybe like two or three times because, <laughs> because it was, and I was excited to be there. Like yeah. I was ready to laugh. Like, because he's God and it was it was pretty dark <laughs> that was a tough special and I love that special yeah I love it I think it's I need to go back and watch it it's very very interesting material it's very funny at times like at other times it's very dark um, and at times it's both but like there's some of his best material on that special and but it was an interesting special for me because I remember I saw it on HBO and it was the first time i had seen him publicly i think since his last special which was complaints and grievances was the one before that which was the one right after 9 11 right so the next special was life is worth losing and i remember when he walked out on stage his face looked older much older he looked kind of bloated yep. like he was probably on some the kind prednisone. of medication yeah because yeah. i know he had heart failure yep. and it was upsetting like and he was much he was much more um, uh, stationary. He wasn't like moving around and stuff yep. as much. And I was like, man, George Carlin's like an old guy now. And then the whole special was about death and dying and all this stuff. And I, it, like, it made me sad. Like I was, I was happy there was one more after that where it was a little more like social commentary based. Yeah. And also he did some jokes that were a little more jovial or whatever. Yeah. Um, I was happy because I didn't want my last like memory of him to be me going, Oh my God, he's old now. And then also it was a whole special about death. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, it was good that the, that another one came out. 
Yeah, well, it's like it's like with Pryor. Like you can, I think it's on YouTube or it's some. No, it's, it might even be on like Spotify and stuff. There's like final recordings of Pryor at like the comedy store where he like is into the MS and he is on stage and he's still funny, but like he's, he's like slow and you can, it just makes you sad, man. Cause you're like, this is the dude that's like all fucking wiry walking back and forth, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like doing that laugh and shit. And like, it's like, it's, it's sad. You don't want to see the guy like that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, but it's tough. There's something so musicians and comics. There's something so tough about seeing them get old. Where they can't, yeah, because they're 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 like untouchable. They're gods. They're they make us happy. We sit in our living rooms and they they bring us I don't know this escape, and then we see them yeah. as humans, and we're like, you're not supposed to be human. Yeah. Well, also too, it's like it's like the the, the type of performance it is. It's so passion and energy based. Yeah. That when you see them get robbed of a bit of that, even if it's just a little bit. It's you don't want to see it. You don't want to see that. You know, it's. I feel extraordinarily lucky that I saw Frank Sinatra perform before he died, but I saw him at the end, man. I yeah. saw him, you know. So there were moments where I was like, he nailed that song. I just heard Frank Sinatra sing a song, and I'm in the same room as him. And then there were moments where like he completely forgot the lyrics to My Way. Right. Like, God damn it! Like, and I, I'm not. I'm not angry or upset. I want to like hug him. I feel bad. Like right. that's fucking Frank Sinatra. That's the guy that like punched out reporters <laughs> in traffic. <laughs> you know, because he's, you know, he so. was he was like the Alec Baldwin of the of the day. He was. <laughs> I wish I could go back and live for a while in the fifties and sixties. Because, like, it's... Dude, I look back at Frank Sinatra and I'm like, it's superhero level to me. <laughs> it's, 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 it's superhuman. Like, well, I what, he, what he got away with? My concept of him. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beyond... It's just like, it's, it's like... it's like the stuff of legend. But I'm also not seeing it. I'm seeing it... I look at it as a guy that got into Sinatra in the 90s yeah. when I was a teenager and then started to look back at everything. And it's already the stuff of myth at that point. You right. know what I mean? So you don't know what's exactly true. You don't know if it's all true. You don't know if stuff was exaggerated. You don't know what... It, so I wish I could go back in the 50s and 60s and like see it as it happened and be part of that public and watch it happen. And then... And so then I could understand, like, was it really as glorified as I'm making it? Or or is it just like this would happen with any performer that you kind of look back retrospectively or retroactively? And um, I'm leaning towards it really was the amazing thing. Because, I mean, there are a lot of bands and musicians and singers and whoever and comics that I look back on like that. And... I mean, dude, Richard Pryor's like the only one that could come even close to like the fucking stories about Frank Sinatra. Like, it's crazy. Like, look, I'm a huge Dean Martin fan. There are not Dean Martin stories like there are Frank Sinatra stories. Right. There are great Dean Martin stories. There are great Don Rickles stories. There are great Tony Bennett and Sammy Davis stories. There are great stories about all those guys. But Sinatra's still, the stories go to this fucking other level where you're like, 
and I don't know. I think a lot of it had to do with he didn't do a lot of interviews. You know, he did that. He did Carson one time. Is that true? Yeah, he I did didn't it know like that. one fucking time. And it's one of the best interviews ever because like it's in like the early 70s. He's sitting on this on the couch. He's wearing like this blue suit with lapels like double wide. Yeah, like yeah. they're like beyond lapels. These things are shooting out of the sides of the jacket and the open fucking shirt with the gold chain. Like he's super, it's the 70s. And these black leather boots. And dude, he's just sitting there like with his legs crossed like this. Just like, just back. Like it's just like, it looks like he's doing a guest spot. <laughs> it literally looks like when like Louis drops in to do a guest spot on like a show in Brooklyn somewhere. Mm-hmm. He's just like, dude, I'm... <laughs> I'm beyond the king of this right now. <laughs> like this is nothing to me. You know, and it's the Tonight Show with right. Johnny Carson. It's so crazy. And um it's just so funny, man. Like and then Don Rickles comes out and sits on the other side of Sinatra and then they turn and just start talking to each other and Sinatra's literally got his back to Carson, not in a disrespectful way, but just like I'm talking to my friend right now. Right. And nobody could say anything like and it it just makes sense like it's like you just don't see that man like it's crazy even with like michael jackson as big as michael jackson was there wasn't that michael jackson still was like a weirdo and like you know he was kind of dainty and not like uh like a like a sort of aggressive personality right it wasn't an alpha kind of thing. When he sang, it was, but offstage, it wasn't really. You know what I mean? At least in the public, what the public saw. But Sinatra, it's like the guy literally like on stage, like doing everything except taking his dick out and being like, <laughs> deal with it. I'm the fucking man. And then walks right off stage and it's like the same fucking dude. Right. Awesome, man. Fucking awesome. He, I don't care who he punched in the face. He was a man. He was definitely a man. Oh my God! Just a just the greatest, just the fucking greatest. Right. I had no idea you were such a big Sinatra fan. Oh, dude, huge man, fucking huge! Like, you know, I mean, I got in. I don't even know why I got into him. I think it was because I did, think, did your parents like listen to him? A little bit, not a ton. My friend's mom, my my mom's best friend. Loved him a lot, like like idolized him. So f- from the time I was a little kid, I had a very good idea of who he was. Mm-hmm. And I knew that he was somebody to be respected, but he wasn't, I wasn't into the music as a young kid. Yeah. I just knew that this guy was like this, this entity that you like, that was like revered, you know? Um, but I think it was because like my mom showed me Goodfellas when I was like 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to kind of think like, like I, you know, that whole scene of that, like the the nineteen sixties Italian guy, and like the suits and the the swing and the rings and all that. That's when I started to think that was really cool. Right. And I think just the more I got into like gangster movies as a genre and like the learning more about that culture from that area, whatever it was, I think I just got more into them. And then I finally got an album, and like I remember, I didn't. I liked like two of the songs. I didn't love it. I just liked two of the songs. And then within like, it was one of those classic things when you're a teenager. You get it. You kind of like it. Right. 
and then like two months later you can't stop listening to it like yeah. the whole thing's on repeat and it just that was it man that was the way i was with almost every band i love or or musician you know i'm like obsessed with frank's i have a fucking zappa's name I, tattooed I, on my I arm i see that you know like i mean the first time i heard frank zappa i wanted to fucking puke <laughs> It was that. I, oh, oh, you hated, hated it. it. Oh, okay. I, I hated it. I was screaming at my friend to shut it off. I was like, this is the worst fucking thing I've ever heard. Right. And then a month later, I was like, you know what? I like that one song. Right. And then a month later, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get the CD and see if I like anything else. Right. And then a month after that, you're like, well, I like three songs on the CD. And then a month after that, you're like, oh my God, this guy's a fucking genius. I have to go buy everything. Yeah. And then I just started to buy everything. And was just completely fucking obsessed with them. Yeah. Still it, am. It happens like that. It's, you know, it's, I think it's abnormal for you to, it's like, it's like with anything. It's like, uh, it, I mean, maybe this is a, a lofty analogy, but it's like with relationships. Uh, you know, I think if you start dating somebody and you're like, just head over heels, it's horseshit. It's absolute horseshit. It, you need like a slow burn. Uh, and that's what I think you're describing where, you don't really get it and then like you sort of start getting it i think that's natural mm-hmm. like to be like to listen to a song and be like this is the best thing ever that's not gonna last right it's not it's not gonna last right right you Let's, need you yeah. need that slow burn same thing with like you know people who get into relationships and they're like i'm in so i'm so in love with this person no you're not you're yeah something else is happening yeah yeah and i have a tendency to do that i have a tendency to get overly enthused about things that I'm not that familiar with. Mm-hmm. I like, even though I'm a kind of a traditional person, not meaning like values traditional, meaning like just in my life. Like I, I, I'm obviously a very neat person, and like you really are, guys. I know, I know. You, we can't see this, but this is a really fucking. It's not like you. Did you pick up for me? You didn't pick no, up no, for me. Not at all. This, this is, is how this is how you live. This is how it looks. like a fucking human being. Yeah, this is how it looks. Ugh. I always wanted to get. And I'm friends with Sebastian, but I want to get Sebastian Maniscalco over here because, you know, his whole thing is, is his whole act is about like what's wrong with people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why do they do these things? Look at these slobs out in right. public. It's like I always wanted to invite like he lives in L.A., but I always wanted to get him to my apartment to just be like, Sebastian, you'd be proud. Like you'd be proud that there's a guy, you know, that's probably as neat as you are. Right. He's <laughs> you know? a guy who I would assume is very neat. Did you ever Not, see him? Yeah. Dude, he's fucking, every time I see him, every thread perfectly. Yeah. I was, I was, I saw him up in Montreal at the festival this year and we hung out at a party, me, him, and Pete Corielli, which by the way, one of the funniest hours in my life ever, like hanging out with those two guys in a corner for an hour at a party where everybody else was like dancing or networking right. and we're just in the corner being dildos with each other. <laughs> Dude, I, we, literally crying, laughing in the corner of this party with those two dudes. They're so funny. And, um, but I was joking with Sebastian. I go, dude, I remember the first time I ever met you, I was with Steve Byrne and you came and picked us up to go to lunch at the, uh, at the, what's that outdoor mall thing in LA? The, the Grove. Oh, the Grove, right. Yeah, I go, you came to pick us up to go to the Grove for lunch. And I go, your car, I mean, it literally looked like you just drove it off the lot. Like, <laughs> it was the cleanest car I've ever been in. And and uh, and I go, and you had the most perfectly pressed shirt from the dry cleaners hanging in the back seat. And I was just like, I know this dude. Like, I grew up with this dude. 
I, I get it. He's an Italian guy from Chicago. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You wear a press shirt. You get it professionally pressed. Right. You know, like, it's just hilarious. So Shoes are, are, are shined all the time. Yeah. Yeah, like the Goodfellas. Like, make his shoes look like fucking mirrors, this kid. Like, it's like, yeah, he probably has, like, mirror shoes. You know? He's hilarious, man. I love that dude. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so I, I'm very organized and neat and yeah i love I like it. tradition in my life like i have routines and things however i get incredibly infatuated and enamored by new things mm. sometimes and it burns me a lot with music i hear an album and i go i call people like halfway through listening to it you gotta buy this right now <laughs> and then a week later i'm like well it's good jesus yeah. well, it's all know, right christ almighty i was like ready to swerve off the road like i was hearing like led zeppelin four for the first right time. right that's the good one right or is it led zeppelin two no what's, four what's i think is the one with one? stairway and yeah and all that other and like um whole lot of love and all that stuff right right um so all right joe this has been nice is that it we're done i think we're done all right i think we're done did you want to talk longer I mean, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just sitting here. You're at my house. I don't care. We're, we're at about an hour. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we probably right. Did I'm, about an hour. Fifty-eight minutes. All right. Yeah, you don't need to. I don't. think when we, when, I, th I think I'm going to intercut deep, deep tracks. No. Come on. No, don't. No. <laughs> no, it's behind me. All right. <laughs> All right. Even, even though I think it's uh it's a valuable recording. You let, listen. If, if first of all, I got to clear it with my buddy. Nah, because I don't think he wants it out there either. But if you, if you, Joe, it's not that important. <laughs> you know what? I have it, and I could listen to it in my car. Yeah, um, that's fine. Yeah, all I'm, right. I'm Thank happy. you. I'm happy with that. All right, fair enough. You should probably cut this part out too, <laughs> so I don't sound like. Well, if you leave it in, now I sound like a, the pussy to everybody. Like, no, don't play me. We can cut it out, Don't Joe. play the thing. We can cut it out. All right. It's always weird when you have the... I Just leave this part in at this point. All right, let's leave it in. <laughs> Dude. Because it's weirder when you have the we can cut it out conversation that, and then it gets cut out. Because even though we can cut it out conversation, still you're still doing that conversation in the form of a podcast conversation. Do you see what I'm saying? So then when you cut that out, it's like we just had a weird podcast style conversation or interaction about something. And then they cut it out. And now it exists nowhere. You follow me on what I'm saying? Here? Yeah. Why is that? Why is that bad? It's just a weird thing. It's like this weird because thing it's on that can't exist anywhere now. Wasn't a real conversation, so we won't have a memory of it. Well, it's was for the podcast, but got cut out, so it's not there anymore. It's like a weird, unique pocket of conversation that only can occur in this situation and then would never exist ever again. What you're hearing right now, what you just heard, people, over the last two minutes, could have <laughs> never existed. And you heard it. That's very interesting to me. They could have never heard that stuff. That could have been erased from the from the records of time. And but they heard it. Yeah. That's pretty fucking cool when it's, you think about it's it. It's powerful. Yeah. Can you believe I'm not high right now? I I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. There you go. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. And there you have it. Joe DeRosa. Go and pick up his album. It's called You Will Die. 
You can download it now. Do it. It's excellent. And while you're at it, pick up his first two albums as well. Uh, they are also excellent. I'm a huge fan uh, of his first album, uh, the, De- the Depression Auction. It's a super album. Not that this third one isn't. It is. Get both of them. Get them all. Treat yourself. Get the trio. Get the Joe DeRosa trio. You will not be disappointed. Thanks again, guys. I really do appreciate you listening to the Last Spin podcast. It means a lot. If you feel up to it, go to iTunes and leave a comment, leave a review, maybe a nice review with lots of stars. iTunes likes it when things are reviewed. We like it when things are reviewed. I would really appreciate that. If you're not following us on Twitter, please do so at LaughSpin.com. We're on Facebook. And of course, you should be visiting LaughSpin.com every day for your comedy news and features and videos and podcasts and all that good stuff. And be sure to check out AllThingsComedy.com, which is our podcast network that was started by Bill Burr and Al Madrigal and has tons, a shit ton of great podcasts. Uh, Bill Burr's podcast is on there, obviously. Ari Shafir's, Tom Segura, Tom Papa. There's just a lot. Tom Rhodes, another one of my favorite comics. So check that out, allthingscomedy.com. Until next week, see you guys. 